day, and welcome to Wheat Pete's Word here on Real Agriculture for Wednesday, February the 22nd, episode 400 of the Word, another milestone on this episode of the Word. Yeah, it is early out there. It's been warm. What's happening in the field? What are the management op- options? What else is happening around the world that's kind of cool? And questions, questions, questions. I can tell it's the start of the season because the questions are ramping up and I love that. Let's go. First off, yes, episode 400. By the way, also the very last page in this notebook of Word episodes. It's it's one episode per page, so 401 is going to have to be a new book. Kind of cool that we've made it this far. We're still aiming to get to episode 1000, as Nature Nut Ick would point out, though, uh, Johnson's going to be old if he actually makes that goal. And yes, crappy weather. Ah, oh, we've just changed entirely. Hey, you think it's bad here? In Argentina, you know, the soybean crop is, is hard into grain fill. In the Cordoba region, western Argentina, minus 2.5 Celsius in some locations. Uh, Most of the crop is fairly well made. I don't think it'll have a huge negative impact. Of course, I'm not down there. But what's really interesting, went from minus 2.5 to over 35 degrees Celsius within a few days. What a roller coaster of weather they're having as well from that perspective. And maple syrup, baby, 40. Some of the growers in the London area saying a 40% run already of what they would consider to be an average run with all these cold blow temperature. We're back into into winter. That means we're going to get a second run of that maple syrup. That's awesome because, of course, you know that I love maple syrup. Just from a, a temperature standpoint, Nick pointing out that the ice cover on the Great Lakes is less than 10%, and that is the lowest ever recorded since 1980. The chart only goes back to 1980. Nick says that on his Cuddy Woods Pond, the ice came off the earliest it's ever come off, and so you just say, yep, it's been warm, no question. Dale Cowan from Agris Co-op tweeting out that as of February the 17th, Since January the 1st, the growing degree day accumulations, 172 at Ridgetown. Normal, up to this date, 1.28. So what a difference. So no wonder the wheat looks green. No wonder, by the way, as Craig reports... He dug up some of his oat crop. He took it into his basement. The oats are still alive. They started to grow. And so, who knows? This current weather may change that. But wowzers, she is definitely a warm winter and a different year. Okay, let's move on. And just, we want to talk about winter hardiness because getting all sorts of questions. What is this ice going to do? What should we do to manage the wheat crop? Well, first off, wheat is pretty tough all the time. And it really will generally take down to minus nine this stage at the very coldest when it's most winter hardy. And if it has, you know, a couple of tillers or at least it has five leaves above the ground, our wheat will stand kind of in that minus 20, minus 21 Celsius range. It's, It's quite winter hardiness or quite winter hardy rather. But now it's... It's out of that stage. I mean, gosh, you get 172 growing degree days. It is not in full dormancy anymore. And so it is at the second stage of that winter dormancy. And so for most plants, minus nine at the crown is kind of that critical level. 
and we're getting an ice storm. Well, we're also going to get some snow. So it really comes down to how does that happen? As far as ice encasing the wheat, it's, it will take at a very minimum, even though it's broken dormancy, it will take at a very minimum two weeks of ice encasement before it would have any negative impact from a respiration standpoint. There's a really nice article out of Minnesota where they looked at ice sheeting and how long crops would survive under that. And when they haven't broken dormancy, so for example, alfalfa that's fully dormant, four weeks under ice sheet before it started to die off. Timothy or reed canary grass were eight weeks. Of course, once we start that respiration process, remember when the crop is fully dormant, it's, it's still alive, it's still respiring, but at a really low level. So it takes a long time for it to use up the available oxygen. Once we get to this second stage of dormancy, then it's res- respiring a little bit faster. So we probably can't take four weeks under ice, but we can take at, at least two weeks to be ice encased. It's unlikely we get a full sheet of ice out of this freezing rain. We'll have to wait and see. But the other thing that, that really starts to play is that ice does not insulate that winter wheat or the alfalfa or any crop for that matter. They, as you know, temperature transmits through ice really well because it's got no air pockets, whereas snow acts as a blanket. And in that Minnesota trial, if it got to minus 10 Celsius with an ice sheet over the alfalfa, the alfalfa was dead. Didn't matter how long the ice stayed there, minus 10 Celsius, the alfalfa just couldn't withstand those cold temperatures. Wheat, it's minus 9 at the crown, which is an inch in the ground. Remember, the alfalfa crown is actually right at ground level, so it doesn't get that insulating effect of the soil. But it really does matter if we get snow. We get that freezing rain, we get that sheet of ice, we get some snow on top of it. Now we've got some insulation if we do actually get really cold uh, really cold temperatures. Okay, I'm going to move into some of the questions because Paul sent me a message saying, hey, why about, hey, Johnson, too much rambling in the preamble. You just get to the good stuff and you're out of time. I want more of the good stuff. So let's see if we can't get to more of the good stuff. Uh, Jamie saying, okay, do we broadcast the clover now? It's warm. The wheat is broken dormancy, or at least it's at that second stage of dormancy. And I should have mentioned in that whole dormancy discussion, wheat can start to grow and it can reharden off. It, it can acclimate to colder temperatures if we get a bunch of colder temperatures. As long The big problem in winter hardiness is exactly what happened in Argentina, where you have really warm temperatures and you get that one cold night. Of course, the one cold night would have to drop a lot and would have to get to minus 10. But if it goes down to zero, minus one, minus three for about three days, the wheat, it hardens off again and it can co- take those colder temperatures better. So there's, there's many factors in that wheat hardiness. But anyway, Jamie's saying broadcast clover now. Well, the trick with clover, alfalfa is the same, is that the seedling has incredible cold tolerance right up until the first trifoliate. So if we broadcast clover on this current frozen soil or frosted soil or or you know ice on top of the wheat no worries there it's going to germinate at the cotyledon stage at the unifoliate stage it will still stand about that minus nine it's sort of a it seems to be a critical temperature for a lot of plants withstand that minus nine 
The problem is that if we get a warm March as well, and with the ice cover off the lakes, that suggests that we could have a warmer than normal spring. It has nothing to do with when we will get to the field to plant because that's all rainfall driven. But ice on the lakes, particularly because here in Ontario we're surrounded by ice, until that ice comes off the lakes, well, that's actually sucking heat out of the air and keeping us cooler. And as you're well aware, the closer you are to the lake, the more that impact has. No ice on the Great Lakes to speak of. Well, it could warm up faster. A warm March, that clover gets going, it gets up to the first trifoliate stage, and then we get an early April cold period. If it's at the first trifoliate stage, minus four for two hours, it is dead as a doornail. We've seen that happen before. Is there anything wrong with putting clover on now? Absolutely not. We want to get it off to a good start, but the risk is that one cold snap in April that you would you would have an issue with the red clover. And typically, from the work that we've done, Ian McDonald and, and I did some work way back when, the best stands typically were around mid-March. This is an earlier year, so maybe end of February, 1st of March is the sweet spot, but we won't know that for sure until after. Anyway, that's how broadcast clover works. Next, Joe saying, okay, so I have some neighbors, and they're out there right now, and this is before the, the cold snap uh, on the weekend, and they're putting on 100 pounds of MAP, monoammonium phosphate, 11520. Is that good for the wheat? I I planted my wheat early. It's got lots of tillers. How does that work? And Travis also saying, so Peter, you know, we got our wheat planted, but we were rushed. We generally broadcast our phosphorus and potash before we plant our wheat. We didn't get that done. Can I get out there and put some phosphorus and potash on now? So two things about that. First off, Joe happens to have really high soil tests, like very solid soil test levels. The data is really clear that... When we have good base fertility, so we're talking 25, 30, 35 part per million phosphorus, the yield benefit to phosphorus is small. One, uh, pardon me, two, three, four bushels, mostly three or four bushels per acre. So Travis, if you didn't get it in the fall and you have good soil tests, you did not give up very much. If you're on good soils with good soil tests, eh, the chances of benefit out of that phosphorus is really, really slim. The environmental risk of that phosphorus, so you spread it on the soil surface and you get a a heavy downpour of rain. The phosphorus that you just applied can move off the soil and into the water course really, really quickly. And so I think the risk way outweighs the benefit of putting MAP on in February for sure. Uh, I know that the growers that do that, they like that little shot of nitrogen. Eh, A little bit of nitrogen might make it look a little greener early. We'll get to that in a minute, but it doesn't have a real big positive benefit. The one difference is when we get to the truly heavy clay soils. We know that wheat has a high phosphorus demand early, on truly heavy clay soils, South Lambton, Niagara Peninsula, Essex County, wheat struggles to grow roots very easily. And so we need higher soil test levels in those soils before the wheat doesn't benefit from a starter phosphorus in the fall. And that's strict, simply a root growth issue. We can't grow roots as easily in heavy clay as we can in loam soils. So 
Given that, on really heavy clays, maybe that surface phosphorus in the spring gives a little bit of boost. I haven't seen any research to support that, but that might be the thought process. But man, uh, you take a big environmental risk. I don't think we can do that. And I think the potential for benefit is really quite small. Okay, then let's move on to nitrogen then, because a whole bunch of people, Jack saying, okay, Peter, I'm away from March 10th to March 20th. Uh, my wheat looks good. I'm, I'm forest area planted the 5th of October, so in good time for my area. Josh at Stratford asking, do I put some, some nitrogen on my wheat? Mark out at Napanee actually going to put some nitrogen on his wheat. And Zonderlin Egg saying, what, what about that? 10 to 20 gallons now. So what's really cool is that Shane McClure, my wonderful technician, and I just finished our nutrient uptake and partitioning study. We're just pulling the data together now and having a look at it. What's interesting on the nitrogen front, a couple of things. First off, Ohio research from a few years back clearly showed zero benefit to applied nitrogen until the wheat had fully greened up and was growing. And it's looking green in the field because we've had 172 growing degree days, but it's not really out of dormancy yet and growing. And with this cold weather, it's going to stop again. So there's no benefit to this early nitrogen, and the risk of loss is really quite high. In Shane and my nutrient uptake studies, whether we had the nitrogen on earlier or whether we didn't have the nitrogen on earlier, at growth stage 30, we had... 33 pounds of uptake of nitrogen where we did not put it on early. We had 34 pounds of nitrogen uptake where we did put it on early. That's one pound of nitrogen difference. So I've just, unless you have really late planted wheat and we're trying to stimulate tillers, then maybe you, you try to get out there a little bit early. Although with this cold stretch, I still think that's too early. The risk is too high. But as far as being super early with, with nitrogen, uh, you don't need much, and it doesn't make much difference in terms of the uptake of that particular nutrient into the crop. And I think that's really, really interesting. Meanwhile, if you move down to Maryland, and so Mark, an extension agent, a different Mark than I normally get data from from Maryland, uh, they generally do not allow you to apply nitrogen on winter wheat until March the 1st because of the risk of that nitrogen ending up in Chesapeake Bay and all the environmental concerns that that causes. They have moved that date to February the 15th. That's kind of cool because it's been so warm. They're warm and their, their wheat is growing. That's Maryland. It's a lot further south than Ontario. And it also has the ocean, which is even greater impact than the, than the Great Lakes here. But normally... From an environmental standpoint, it's March the 1st. We're at least two weeks behind that. I just, I just do not think that we can support any nitrogen application, at least until we get past this next spell of cold weather. I, the risk is too high, and the benefit is simply too low. A couple last things I want to cover. A, a week ago on The Agronomist, John Hurd, my great friend, he challenged me about the difference between ammonium thiosulfate on wheat and ammonium sulfate on wheat. And once soil temperatures get to 15 degrees Celsius, the, remember the ammonium thiosulfate, if I put 10 pounds of ammonium thiosulfate on, 50%, so 5 pounds will end up as ammonium sulfate, 5 pounds will end up as 
elemental sulfur, which is not available to the crop. If I put 10 pounds of sulfur on as ammonium sulfate, it's 10 pounds of sulfate, which is available to the plant. And so John challenged me that, you know, that, come on, Peter, it, it's no difference because as soon as the soils hit 15 degrees Celsius, that elemental sulfur gets converted and it will be in the sulfate form. Well, it's really interesting because when we look at our uptake data, we have over two pounds in the wheat crop by growth stage 30, and that wheat crop is picking up 0.2 pounds per acre per day. And in a good wheat crop, the soil doesn't warm up very quickly because the, the canopy is protecting it from the, the air temperature and from the sun, and the uptake of sulfur into that wheat crop, 90% of the sulfur is in the wheat crop by anthesis. So the sulfur demand is early, early, early. I put on 10 pounds of sulfur as ATS, ammonium thiosulfate. That's only five pounds that's actually available. And typically we don't get more than 50% or, you know, we'd hope to get two thirds of that in. That's three pounds at two pounds per acre per day. That's 15 days. Boy, you can go sulfur deficient way more quickly than you think. And so I, I do think that that is a bit of an issue. Elvern saying, hey, Peter, if I compost my manure, do I lose a nitrogen or does it the nitrogen get tied up in the compost? I don't want to give up any nitrogen. No, Elvern, compost is a great process. It, it reduces the volume. There's lots of benefits out of compost, but you do give up plant-available nitrogen in that composting process. There's just nothing you can do about that that happens. And so if you want to maximize your nitrogen use out of manure, you apply it as raw manure, and you, then you figure out how not to lose that nitrogen. Last, from Pete Jansen on the soybean performance trials saying, okay, used to be that you know, you'd look at the phytophthora root rot ratings, and they made some sense. About 2020, they changed. 2019 actually is when they did change. And now their, their numbers are crazy high. What is going on? If you read the fine print on the performance trials, and I had to ask Horst Bonner, I didn't go look at the fine print either, but they changed how they do their phytophthora root rot ratings. They used to do them early, like basically at emergence, and then three to four weeks later and look at the difference in plant counts, and that was the phytophthora. It just wasn't giving as accurate a results as they wanted. So they have switched. They now do it at R6, so way later in the season. And they do the counts then. And so the numbers have gone from, I don't know, 2 to 5% to 50 to 70%. But they do it at Woodsley on a soil that's heavily infested with Phytophthora. And so we're getting much better data. It's just going to take a few years to make that switch over and make those numbers make a little bit more sense. Look at that. Once again, I am way over time. That's it. That's all on behalf of the team here at Real Agriculture. This is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, the 22nd of February, episode 400. Hey, keep the questions coming. Thanks for your support. Thanks, thank you for listening for 400 episodes. Just make sure you give me comments and questions so I can keep this going for another 400 episodes. Talk to you next week. <laughs>